0: Welcome back to The Fourth Floor, this is your host Chris. I hope you're outside enjoying the spring sunshine and maybe bottling it and bringing it back inside with you during isolation. In this episode, Calvin, Jason, and I are joined by our friend and resident microbiologist, Juan Nacho Siquita, who is currently researching tropical infectious diseases in animals for his internship at the National University of Costa Rica. Nacho shares with us his experience in how Costa Rica is handling COVID-19. His research and his perspective of how places outside Costa Rica have responded to the pandemic. Nacho gives us an overview on what a virus is relative to other things cause infectious diseases, and why a malaria drug doesn't have the same effect on a virus. We also discuss how detecting COVID strains work, how the scientific community's response to this particular pandemic has affected how it operates, and under these conditions, whether or not the world was prepared for an outbreak of this scale. Welcome Nacho, it's good to have you here. Um, How do we know you again? Do you remember that?
1: Well, it's a funny story, Chris. Thank you for having me, first of all. Um, nice. I'm the resident biologist of the fourth floor,
0: <laughs> You are, along yeah. with uh, Annalise. Yeah, you share the hot seat with Annalise, who yeah. we we'll run into eventually. But yeah, um, and you, we know you, because I actually don't necessarily, I'm not saying I don't know you. Doesn't I know run the into origin you, story? I don't know the origin story. All I know is that you and Jason are friends when we were all on the fourth floor in the studying lounge.
1: Yeah. Actually, I uh, Jason was one of the first people I met at on ca- on campus during our first year at university. It was it during, was during oh, really? orientation, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it
2: was. Yeah, oh, that's cute. Yeah, Thank they yours. seated
3: us uh, with people with the same birthday, mm-hmm. same um, birthday month. So, oh, not when yeah. oh, I sat nice. down next to each other. We're like April.
0: Nice, oh, so. sweet, and sweet then we spring had uh, Pre-calculus
1: together. Yeah. Later oh, on in the semester. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow.
3: And then um, you and my ex had biologies together as well.
1: Yep, Cell Bio. with, with Creasy, Dr. right? Yeah. yeah that's, really
0: cool. oh, that's cute. Um, and so you just, so you know each other from pre-calculus and then you obviously, you know, like university does to people, you deviate into this other field mm-hmm. and now you've graduated.
1: Well, I'm going to you've graduate
0: on. on September, yeah. Are so you? I've wow. already
1: filed everything in, and in September—that's when I graduate. I'm,
0: I'm, proud to know you. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank yeah,
2: you. some of us, Getting some there. of us. Yeah, that's,
3: yeah. that's three out of four right now
0: in the chat.
2: Ooh, yeah, oh yeah, okay. Chris, that's
0: you're gonna have bad.
2: to get that degree.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to send us pictures of it on your wall with like, yeah, as like a mural of all the other things you got. So. So now what do you do while you're down there?
1: Well, while I'm down like here, you've... I was yeah, no, that's a great question. While I'm down here, I was doing an internship with the National University of Costa Rica. Hmm. At a program called that's um researching tropical infectious diseases. So it's called the PIET <laughs> in Spanish the it's p- the programa for the enfermedades infecciosas in Spanish. Wow. Piet. And really it was. No, cool. oh, thank you, Chris. It's just a lot of uh, vet work, really. Since they were doing a lot of work with animals, um, a little bit of bacteriology, a little bit of virology, a little bit of molecular biology in between. Basically,
0: that's basically that's so it fun. in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... that's fun. It's cool that you got to go down to Costa Rica. It's
1: been an amazing experience, kind of seeing the differences between you know Canada and Costa Rica and how the projects come around and how they're managed and handled and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. That's actually, that'd be a cool, that's a different perspective for sure. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Especially as an intern. Well, I
3: find it interesting, uh, Nacho that, uh, you mentioned that you, you're basically studying this stuff, uh, in animals. And, you know, as, as an astronomer, I always get laughed at like, you know, why do we care about space? Um, you know, we're a human, Mm-hmm. It doesn't portray to what's on earth. And I, I can almost pose that same question. If you're looking for infectious diseases, uh, why in animals, like, why do I care if an animal has a cold? Like, what does that portray to me?
0: Yeah, I mean, we definitely get laughed at. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. Well, first of all, um, you know, if you're dealing with livestock, chicken, pigs, cows, well, we care because, you know, we want hamburgers, bacon, we we live
2: near and around them
1: yeah exactly (laughs) so so, you know if they get sick and they mass die then we're out of chicken tenders and that kind of sucks but more to the point you know you got viruses like the influenza that reassort themselves with you know pigs chickens birds and then they reassort themselves with our genes so we get you know big nasties like influenza h1n1 the swine flu and covid so studying them while they're in the animals really helps us understand them when they make the jump or if they're able to make the jump in the first place
0: nice wow the jump
3: the jump jump, right to work yeah the
0: jump jump to hospitals Yeah. yeah it's unfortunately not an upgrade but they did make a jump of a kind for sure um that's actually fascinating. I, I never even thought of that. That that's I guess like studying the uh, the medium, like or the thing that facilitates how mm-hmm. they would come to humans is that's fascinating. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, all those zoonotic diseases. So animal studies are pretty important, especially doing uh, vet work. You know, um, for certain diseases like rabies as well. If you don't keep an eye out for that, it's a little bit uh, harmful for us humans.
0: Yeah. True that. Um, And in that case, like, speaking of COVID, like speaking of. Yeah. And I guess like, yeah,
3: like when you say it like that, like, obviously we want to make sure that our livestock is one of our food groups doesn't go away, but you know, these things are able to jump from animals to humans. And that's, that's basically where most of it comes from. Correct.
1: That's mainly where the most uh, amount of emerging diseases come from. That'd be correct. Yeah. All that interaction uh the COVID came from a what's known as a wet market in wuhan so that's basically where they live animals more so than dead ones and you know having those in cages constant physical touching keeping the cages next to each other not not such a good idea
2: yeah not not quite as sanitary as a as like a butcher
1: no. Yeah, but I mean butchers
3: yeah. and all that like my family owns a ranch and we also keep livestock pretty close together, different yeah. species. right So how is that how is that any
1: different? No, that's a great point and it's kind of what I was going into that you know Wuhan has the wet market, China has these wet markets, but we also you know in Canada and the US and Costa Rica, we have um, this whole industry dedicated to mass producing pigs, cows, Fowls, chickens, and Mm -hmm. those kind of conditions aren't sanitary. Like we feed, we mass feed antibiotics, which causes different issues on its own. Yeah, its own set of different issues. Yeah, Um, for sure, different issues. But you know, we we don't treat them with. um, I I don't want. We don't treat them in a way that you know deters infectious diseases. Because see, they they, yeah. they don't they're not smart you know they're not sneaky they're, they're not sentient things they're just a little bit opportunistic so you know, if a virus sees hey I'm being handled a lot by uh, a farmer I'll just make the species jump and then you have a new emerging disease. Wow oh, okay
2: wow so yeah. then then the problem it, like it sounds like these uh, these farms and uh, stuff are not sanitary when they could be so is this just neglect on the entire like industry or something or is it just like too hard
1: that's interesting uh in my internship we dealt a lot with these um producers so like uh, we got samples from the biggest uh, chicken suppliers in costa rica to you know check for all these infectious diseases and they're very dedicated to you know keeping it clean keeping it as sanitary as possible but at the same time, it's not from a virologist or bacteriologist's point of view, so they cut some corners, you know, not intentionally, not maliciously, but without mm. having that knowledge of how these things work. So right. it pr- yeah. promotes them, you know.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah I wonder yeah, if yeah. Uh, this this new world um, will will maybe change, and there'll be like even stronger restrictions and uh, um, uh, checking up on that sort of issue
1: absolutely hopefully
2: something good comes from it yeah yeah well especially yeah.
1: since
3: quite a few of the new emergent diseases um and not to not to point a finger at china or their practices but it has been from that location you have a lot of people and mm-hmm. if if you yeah. if you do cut those corners for any reason and it could happen anywhere then you know you end up with these you could end up with these pandemics that we're currently experiencing. Yeah. So a lot of the, the reading I've been doing and and speaking with the local farmers back home is, you know, like, you know, are a lot of them being little rednecks are, are trying to point the finger saying, Oh, well it's their wet markets. But I think a big take home is, is that, you know, this could be any species like swine flu didn't, could have happened just as easily here than, than than anywhere, and so I think it's a call for all of these types of of markets to to be a little safer and and you know more se- more segregated for the livestock to prevent this kind of uh, this kind of jump.
0: True. This no, was the yeah, same absolutely. thing. Yeah, this was similar with uh, avian flu, where avian mm-hmm. flu became this big thing, and it's also because of of markets and stuff. I think, you think it came from a geese. Or uh, sorry, came from a geese. It came from geese in in China as well, from a similar market. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which neat. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of species jumping, and you know, with bats, the wet market with bats to humans. In your particular situation, um, what is like? We're in North America, and we've you know we're very passionate about staying indoors and all the other things. What's it like in Costa Rica right now?
1: Oh, Chris, the response here has been amazing. Like I've been really? filled with pride. On how my country has handled, you know, awesome. this outbreak. Um, nice. It's interesting because they they approach it from a different perspective. So obviously, we're worried about the economy. You know, we're a tourist country, so closing down for this long is uh, particularly worrying. So closing down international borders hits us pretty hard. Right. But the uh, the government's main kind of goal has been to protect the people. So we've stocked up on essential supplies. Yeah. We've built hospitals. We've increased capacity. Uh, the people initially, you know, Costa Rica is a kind of like a party vibe. So it took a little bit of time for us to be like, okay, this is a serious situation. Let's stay indoors. Let's follow, you know, the government right. government's advice. Nice. So the response has been really nice. And you see that reflected on the numbers of cases. We, we currently average about six to five new cases per day. Mm. And the most amazing thing is we've had no community transmission until now. Like Really? At any point. Yeah. yeah. It's all been very close-knit. Someone gets sick, they infect their family members, and that's the uptick in cases.
2: Wow. Okay. Wow. That, that is, is good uh, in, in a sense that, it is not straight. You're not interacting with so many strangers that it, you can't even track, like who's getting yeah. it from whom, Yeah. Especially yeah. with uh, airborne virus. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Especially. And, and I mean, I've been to Costa Rica. I had the privilege of, of going there a few years ago and staying with Nacho and his family. Mm-hmm. And uh, you live in San Jose, right?
0: That's correct.
3: And there's, not exactly. Everybody there. Let's just say they're not all rich, right?
0: No. And no, yeah.
3: so to keep it out of that, the population that's very densely packed—that's uh, a—that's a huge, a huge uh, accomplishment.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have to give credit to the uh, social sciences, and you know, us being more hardcore sciences, we're, we're <laughs> focused case? on that, but. The social sciences can do a good thing. <laughs> Amazing things yeah. in outbreaks. It's been uh, yeah. you know awareness campaigns, uh, wow. all these sort of like cultural things to help us be like, okay, let's
0: take this seriously. We can move forward as a community. Cool. So, wow, that's very cool. That's awesome, man. I'm glad you guys are.
3: Yeah, that's super on top important of it. too. Because yeah, and and I think more places definitely need to to learn from that for sure. Absolutely,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah. It sounds like we could follow a few steps from you here and there. Yeah, how are you doing, Nacho?
1: Oh, myself, I'm doing quite well. Um, You know, isolation isn't isn't affecting me too much. Uh, (laughs) Isn't just change our lifestyle. (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much coping the same as Jason here. You know, bottle of rum, just chilling.
0: Nice. You're in the right spot to be doing it too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too, actually. I, I haven't really been affected wildly by this, mm-hmm. but that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and also, so you were saying um, that we like the only cases that occur are in families so that they mm-hmm. go home and um, they infect their family. But it doesn't actually leave beyond that. Hey?
1: Not that much. No, if, um, you know, usually rampant amount of cases like we see in the U.S., um, what we saw in Italy and France. That's untraceable, uh, you know, infections. You know, they go, they uh, party or whatever, uh, go outside, meet some mm-hmm. other people, go to work. The coworkers, the people that attend the party, they get sick. It's a little bit harder to keep track of that. In Costa Rica, True, yeah. we haven't seen that much. The num- daily number of cases at its peak was probably around, you know, 30 to 20. Really? It, yeah, we're at only 600 cases, more or less, uh, probably a little bit more, a little bit less
0: um, of active cases right now. That's so fantastic. We're in the thousands in just is, BC a Is more. that
2: yeah. good? What's like, the population, That's a good thing. population yeah, yeah. density of Costa Rica? I was just going to say, yeah, you did say earlier it was like reasonably population dense mm-hmm. uh, in the city San Jose.
1: Yeah, most of the population is in the uh, greater metropolitan area, what we call it. Which is um, San Jose, the outlying cities, Ileria, La Huela, all these other things. And then there's um, outlying regions such as you know the coast, um, the farmers' areas up in uh, uh, what's the volcano Arenal that Jason and I visited along with Kayla uh, when he came to visit.
0: Oh, so, cute! Uh, volcano. volcano, yeah, yeah. Nice.
1: So that whole region is you know not as densely populated. It's. um, Farmers and their areas, uh, really small towns, about 100 to 500 people per. So most of the density is inside. Yeah.
0: Nice. That's fantastic. So so you guys are doing so well. And then we've got, you know, here in North America, we've got opinions about, you know, should we go back to work Mm -hmm. or like we're actually not handling it well. Or by the time we find out that we're sick, we're actually just going out and... You know, yeah, you know, going to the stores or, or doing things that we probably shouldn't be doing anyway. So, from your perspective, as someone who actually understands, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of thing, is there anything that like sticks out to you that you wish that people would do more, like how people should be handling it, or are there like misconceptions that stand out to you about this kind of thing? Uh, I mean, aside from mm-hmm. breathing in Lysol, yeah, breathing in U V light, yeah, aside from the yeah,
1: glaring. Yeah misconceptions yeah yeah um yeah it's actually a complicated topic uh, i'm not sure how much time we have but the main ones i'd say it's people politi- politicizing it the whole thing you know we have right you know the right wing versus the left wing you know they make the whole issue out of it really it's it's much more pronounced in the states but you can definitely yeah. see it in canada as well um alberta versus bc for example
2: that's a classic classic
1: matchup (laughs) you have very marked differences and the differences are usually you know should we reopen faster so we can sell more we can produce start producing things again basically money money centered you know
0: yeah yeah true which is ignoring
1: that's huge it's important it's an important part of our lives i'll grant you know the right side that but infectious diseases don't care about that you know <laughs> they're little vehicles they travel they don't they don't they're not sentient they're just you know if we let them get away with it then we've seen what the repercussions are and it's devastating
0: so, yeah actually you know what i was saying the other day that like you know viruses are just little bots they don't have yeah. feelings about you know your money and in a sense if you give a virus what it wants which is a lovely human body that's warm mm-hmm. it will it's you, you know you got to control you don't want to give it what it wants yeah because that's how it succeeds right they're just little robots that i mean they're not even don't they like raise the the question of whether or not they're even living yes like, yeah no that's a great like, are up. they even yeah which uh, i'll bring that up in a sec mm-hmm. but um It's good to hear that it's good to hear your end of that, that Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's money centered, you know, it it doesn't have any information about how you feel about it. It just wants Mm -hmm. to duplicate, it just wants to hijack you to make more of itself. And we should be really conscious about not, you know, giving the virus what it needs to to actually spread instead of, you know, adhering to our feelings. The difficult
1: thing about, you know, wanting to reopen is we can take all the precautions we can but in reality, it's really hard for the normal person who isn't constantly aware of microbes everywhere. You know, how do, how do they keep themselves clean? You know, you go to the gro- grocery, you have a mask. The mask can only do so much. It's very limited in its mm. uh, protective abilities. You know, if you, if you wear the mask, you touch, you know, I don't know, a handrail, a doorknob, and you go to scratch your face, you're, you're essentially mm. taking that surface that's dirty and putting it on your mouth the mask didn't really help
2: and you're also putting everyone else who's touched that railing in your mouth as well mm-hmm. which is also gross yeah. to think about <laughs> it really is yeah. yeah
0: yeah we don't want to get in the the process of you know how public pools work nah, just, but no. absolutely yeah yeah that's interesting yeah the- yeah it's, it's good it's good to hear like your end mm-hmm. of of that yeah So Jason actually brought up a really neat topic about science in general and how we handle these kinds of events. So since news about this comes in so fast and we have a scientific community, you know, with its peepers open, you know, do you think that this might be like, this is a big problem right now that we have so much like influx of information about this thing flowing around? Or is it actually like a a constructive discourse? Or does it even matter at all? Like, since analysis can't be done in depth, what, like, what, what is taking months to actually happen in terms of researching this thing and trying to come up with a cure for it, or, or something, which, which should be challenging because it's related to other viruses that also don't have a current cure. Mm-hmm. Um, is this going to change the way like science, science operates in terms of a pandemic, or just the the rate, the pace of how we um, research things?
1: You know what? I actually love this question because it encompasses, you know, the constructive things. It's, you know, we have so much information coming in, which is, for one, amazing. The downside is we have so much information coming in that we aren't parsing out the relevant ones. And yeah. you had mentioned the misconceptions, and this kind of ties in, but the whole uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, that Trump was touting, which <laughs> is a anti-malarial yeah. drug. Primarily, mm. so obviously we know how to mass produce it, and we have large stocks. But for for a virus, it's you know there are some events that there are some medications that could work for COVID nineteen that are already in the market. But it's an anti-malarial drug, and malaria is a parasite. It's uh, completely it's a different. Organism. Yeah, completely different organism. <laughs> it's not a okay. virus. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, it's actually so different from viruses and it's more akin to a bacteria, but not quite.
0: Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's larger, yeah. like so much larger. Yeah.
1: Oh, you can see yeah. it with a, um, with a light microscope without having to stain it because it's embedded in the red blood cells. It's very large. Yeah. But um, it, you know, the, the drug hasn't been shown to be very effective. You know, people, there are studies that say, hey, look, it is. But as we know, you know, you can skew the studies to be like, you know, these values suggest. It could be a well, suggestion. Yeah. You know?
3: And I know that that one study where the about like one of the studies on that, the malaria drug, mm-hmm. um, when it was peer reviewed, the scientist who wrote it actually got mad at what he called the dictatorship of um methodologists so everybody was um, saying like your methodology wasn't good you didn't actually do a proper sample study you didn't have a control group you didn't do all these things that science requires and his response was you don't need those things to do science yeah (laughs) it's like um (laughs) no you do so you know there there are some studies and then there's some studies
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) right
0: yeah and i think that's also just a thing that like bleeds into a lot of other fields too Mm -hmm. we get these things that suggest stuff you know you have you see it in um, like psychology and stuff where we have medications or what we think are treatments for certain things and they're they're not they sort of or they treat some symptoms or an array of symptoms that may not actually be the source of the problem Yeah. Whereas this is like completely different medication for a different problem. Yeah.
1: Which is, yeah. I had gotten a tweet from somebody that said, hey, this is an anti-malarial drug. Can you look at the study these guys did? And I looked at it and it was, it was an okay paper. It was very surface level where Mm. it studied um, the concentration of the medication on a culture of cells that were infected with COVID. And on Mm. the surface, it looked fine. You know, they had very promising results. But it's one cell type, and the way, um, you know, general biology works is once you put something in a living body, there's a lot more conflicting things going on in there that could, you know, hinder or amplify that effect. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 like, just having one study that says that people say, look, a good result doesn't make it a good medication.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's so many other things going on. Yeah. that This is a very isolated, specific thing. Mm-hmm
1: one, one yeah. thing i wanted to mention that you had asked you know hopefully in the future we learn from this and streamline things more i think a big problem is um, the media and the press latching on to those studies and representing them or like giving them flashy head type tit- flashy titles like you know this is the next cure or yeah. they're working on a vaccine it, like yeah a lot of people are but it's it's you know look a little bit into it
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Well, I know. And it's something. A criticism of journalism lately has been that they haven't been doing the research. They've just been grabbing whatever they can. And like you mentioned earlier, politicizing it.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you
3: know, that is because my concern about this is that everybody thinks that science can be done so fast. And all you have to do is light some fire under the scientist's ass. And all of a sudden, there they go. They start getting things done faster than normal Mm -hmm. and you know that's we should be cautious about that i I think because yeah absolutely you know yeah it's not leaps and bounds that science does it it's in tiny steps that is very akin to the random walk in a star
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the whole uh yeah and the whole standing on the shoulders of giants things you know we're trying to bring all these people experts together to try to do something small
1: that yeah that false um,
0: confidence that it gives to the
1: you know the general public which at the end of the day people want to be reassured yeah but uh, if you mm-hmm. give them something that's not a hundred percent true or to the best of our knowledge not effective you know when that doesn't happen people are going to get mad and they're going to be like what's going on there we were told yeah. that this was the cure
0: when it's not the case yeah, yeah and you're, you're going to get the, where wear case... are
3: flying cars Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And in
0: this specific case, doing that kind of thing actually just ends up spreading the virus more. Yeah. Like having like perpetuating something that lets people relax, like relax about the whole thing. is just going to make people go out and have more interactions. You know, if if we, we, we make them think that they've, Oh, they've solved it with this malaria drug. Um, and they haven't solved it. So everyone just you know chills out and goes out and hangs out and they accidentally end up contracting and or spreading. Mm hmm the virus and yeah. And it was just like not good information. Yeah. And that
1: goes for like a lot of the misinformation that was going around. Like, you know, do masks work? Well, the answer is yes and no, you know, do hand sanitizers work? Yes. And no, it depends on how you use it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's a
3: virus. So a hand sanitizer on its own, they can't just squirt it and it's fine. Like you, it's the scrubbing that'll remove the virus. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, yeah. You can't just like, Put hand sanitizer on, scrub for two seconds, and say you're you're mm-hmm. going to be okay. Like it's there's a reason twenty seconds is the minimum limit,
1: mm-hmm. and you have to do it constantly <laughs> as well. It's like it's not just once a day and you're protected for the rest of the day.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like everything you touch mm-hmm. is going to go with you, go along with you. So
0: yeah, yeah. True. I like that there. So... somebody
3: explained it like glitter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good yeah. one. Just a little bit of glitter and now you've just glitter everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, like so So, Nacho, from your perspective, like was the world prepared for this? Oh absolutely think, not. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: Okay. <laughs> oh. Follow up question. Like what's
0: your angle? Like, like should there yeah, have
2: been? Like did we did we drop the ball or like was this so out of left field that it's like, well, we couldn't even prepare it?
0: Yeah. Was this in the statistics? Like, were we like expecting something like this to eventually happening or, 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 you know, is this, we were just wildly unprepared,
1: you know, from the field of infectious diseases, we have been saying, you know, prepare, uh, you know, implement plans, plan now, invest money while you can, because we Mm. knew, you know, we had some signs, we had SARS, MERS, which were relatively small, didn't amount to, to a pandemic, obviously. Uh, we also had Ebola a little bit later on in 2014 to 2018, I believe, somewhere around that range,
3: mm-hmm. which
1: uh, was a very large, a significantly bigger outbreak than what was expected from Ebola. It's a yeah. close contact uh, direct transmission, so it spreads a little bit slower than uh, SARS, MERS, COVID. But it, it, you know, it ended up... Going to Liberia, New Guinea, Sierra Leone—it was big, and that was in yeah. countries that were naturally unprepared. Uh, they had, you know, a little bit of instability, but it could happen to anyone. And you know, we're in a global society. I can take a plane, well, not lately, but I could take a plane and go visit you guys in Canada and be mm. there in a few hours. You know, the same for the other yeah. side of the world so that challenge those challenges we haven't really addressed as well we clearly didn't address you know you know it's teaching uh universities closed down primaries kindergarten like how do you continue that education during a
2: pandemic
0: yeah yeah true yeah right we I didn't mean, even
2: plan for that at all yeah we didn't there think of no it. contingencies whatsoever
0: yeah yeah we just made up we just took advantage of like the funny zoom virtual backgrounds, the best we could, you know, <laughs> try to keep people. Pinned. Of potato faces. Yeah. Yeah. That's that a funny aside. <laughs> I used like the, the, um, the Hubble ultra deep field and you can't see me cause this is a podcast, but I have a big beard. And so like, because the Hubble ultra deep field is uh, <laughs> it's <just> the blackness <laughs> oh of gosh. space. Like it just took my beard and put the universe in it.
2: <laughs> and it looked really
0: funny. It was, it was actually fantastic. Now,
2: yeah. there's another yeah. good trick you can do is you can also, um, if your webcam is on your laptop, you can also hold your laptop up and move it around gently, and it's like you're floating in space.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, that would have been super fun. I should have taken that. I looked more like a deity. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very cool. Um, it was very cool. Only time I would ever look like a deity. Um, but back to the virus, though. Mm-hmm. So given this... um. There was this rumor of like tests and, you know, I'd ask you what makes this virus so straining, but let's go. I kind of want to ask you just a surface level explanation explanation of what a virus actually is, Mm -hmm. because that's also what I think sometimes is part of the confusion is that people think that we know at the surface level you can't treat a virus like like you can't treat a, a, a virus with antibiotics. No. Yeah. No, because they're not. Living things. We're not halting any living processes inside something that's not even a living. It's just a bot. Mm-hmm. So, what is it exactly like? Okay. We know that virus. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: So, just to give a quick rundown of what a virus is, so we can continue. A bacteria is very close to a living cell. So we all know about human cells. You know, it's what makes us us. They've got their little membranes. They've got their organelles, which perform different functions. Bacteria are similar to that. They have a little bit of technical differences that I'm not going to get into because I could go on for hours, but they're essentially cells, you know, viruses, they aren't capable of doing their own cellular machinery. So they can't, you know, gain nutrients to feed themselves. They can't uh, replicate because they're not getting their own nutrients uh, on their own. What they are is essentially a protein coat around a genetic element, like an RNA or a DNA fragment that encodes the whole gene for the virus. And when they get into a cell, they can then hijack that cell's machinery to grow more of themselves, replicate, and then burst uh, into their surrounding areas and infect other cells. So they're more like inanimate particulates that uh, can perform functions once inside a cell.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. they yeah. that's that's great. So yeah, that's a really good it's cover. not too far off to say like they're basically like a particle that when they interact with another special particle, they make copies of themselves.
1: That's perfectly put, Calvin. Yeah.
2: Cool. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's not unlike, you know, how sci fi sees like nanobots. Yeah. They just go around <laughs> duplicating themselves because that's their job. Except right? those
2: are but- like deliberately programmed, whereas these are just kind of Happened in nature because, of course, the thing that copies itself is the thing that's gonna be stay around for <laughs> for all of the yeah. evolution and stuff, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's here. It's here just recursively. Yeah, you know? <laughs> here
2: yeah. recursively.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are um, you here?
3: Because I made myself. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't. Yeah, it's, it's like three um, D printing.
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. and, and you know, eukaryotes get to be the three D, the the you know the three D printers. Um, one interesting thing to know too is the size difference, right? Yeah. Altos, so they're they're like significantly smaller, right?
1: Yeah. So we have um, in the microscopic realm different size ranges. Um, mm. Bacteria are usually in the micrometer range, so it's a little bit smaller than a human cell. Bacteria are typically a little bit smaller. You can still see them with light microscopes, which are like the basic tool of any microbiologist or cell biologist or anyone that likes to look at squishy life things, you know, microscopes.
3: Yeah, or like eight-year-olds who got that their first microscope for Christmas.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: So you can see Pretty those with a light microscope. You have to stain them because they're just on the border of where we can see. So these stains oh, wow. help make them a little bit more visible. Uh, viruses are around the nanometer range. So... They're significant, significantly smaller than bacteria and cells. And in fact, they can even infect other bacteria. You know, they're
0: yeah, so there's a thousand times smaller, right? Mm-hmm.
1: There's wow. a few <laughs> a that are, thousand are down, on the opposite end of that spectrum, and they're called uh, the giant viruses. So Pandora, Mimi virus, you can actually just barely see those with a light microscope. So that's pretty wow. interesting too. Wow.
3: And, wow. and to give a little bit of physics background, when you say nanometers that is visible light Mm
1: -hmm.
3: visible light is almost a thousand it's at 500 well 450 to 750 but that's like nanometer scale so these viruses are on the scale of the wavelength of light our eyeballs use which is why they don't work with light microscopes
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah the big electron microscopes and the scanning electrons just to visualize what these
2: viruses look like yeah 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 that's a whole other fascinating thing is how those things operate Mm
0: -hmm. yeah whereas we can see onion root tips in like a generic bio 12 lab you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's just a crazy size difference yeah it's wild just so basic yeah they don't we, we can't apply the same tools to the very big things in terms of the actually on the order of nano you know mm-hmm. it's absurd viruses are also
1: unique in their shape so that protein coat that I mentioned um, that's what separates or you can distinguish families by the way the coat is arranged so the corona as you may have seen is that circular uh, icosahedral kind of shaped with uh, protrusion sticking out it kind of looks like a crown or a solar flare
0: or the corona of the sun yeah
1: actually the corona virus <laughs> is named after solar coronas
2: Oh really? Yeah, I thought it just had... named after Corona, meaning crown. At all? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: no, no, but it's actually from yeah. that kind of protrusion around the circular. All right. Cool.
0: Yeah, my neurons fired when I read that a bunch of times. Like Corona, <laughs> not the beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: where yeah. you went first, of course. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I know that word. I've <laughs> I can. Yeah, I've heard that word. Yeah, a little bit of space good... there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they threw in the space there. <laughs> so so people have been talking about tests Mm -hmm. what kind of like tests are there that's a good question uh right
1: now we have one main one which is the acronym is rt pcr which stands for real-time polymerase chain reaction which is a common uh biology technique especially for molecular and genomics where it amplifies bits of dna or rna uh through different processes to purify it and then it amplifies it there's a little fluorescent protein attached to a specific sequence that it's looking for so when more copies are made it shines a lot more and you get that result mm. in a from a machine that reads how much light is being produced which means how much uh, virus genetic material is in the sample
0: all oh, right yeah i guess that's one one yeah
1: so you get those samples from nasal swabs uh, primarily. It's a, a little bit of an uncomfortable procedure because they're being very thorough in how they take the sample. So the swab reaches pretty far back. Um, it goes up through the nose and reaches pretty far back to get as much as it can. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a nice thing, Chris. Think uh, like a viral TSA search, if you will.
0: <laughs> Ooh. I was gonna say
2: it might actually be nice if my nose is really stuffed up, right? right. And yeah, just it clean nice it right thing. out. Clean.
3: Well, I think that yeah. a, a similar process was done by the ancient Egyptians when they were trying to mummify people. So <laughs> oh, that's right. How <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow.
2: That's
3: how they got the brain out. So,
1: wow, we have that test. It's a little bit of con- uncomfortable, but it's the most accurate and precise test we have especially since it gives you an idea of how much, you know, virus is in your system.
2: Oh, uh, so somebody can have like a little bit um, and some people yeah. can have like
1: yeah, that's how we uh, say okay, you're now a recovered patient because there is a threshold below which the test can no longer detect. The oh, okay. Right. And that's when they yeah, so, clean.
3: So, oh, nice. I have a question though. Yeah. Is yeah. this virus specific or is it any virus? Like if I say I don't have covid, I have uh, a, a, another cold virus. Mm-hmm. Will this also? Because if it's just going to say, "Oh, all well, these things are um, are replicating, and therefore it's a bright light," versus this is a bright light only from COVID nineteen.
1: Right. That's where the specificity of the test comes in. And the really nice thing about RT PCR is it's it's wholly based based on the fact that you're searching for genetic sequences which are specific to the strains, species, whatever else you want to search for. So they'll take a small section of COVID-19 that they know is COVID-19 specific, and they'll say, mm. amplify this, and the machine will amplify it. If it's another um, coronavirus, you know, why that causes a common cold, it won't get picked up, or it might get picked up at a very weak signal. So they'll redo a test mm. or something like that.
0: Hmm. Okay, that's actually that's fascinating. That's actually, that's clever because we do the same thing when we need a better signal. We just mm-hmm. we just collect more light, and that's the same thing <laughs> as turning the volume up, right? Like we just turn the volume up on the light. Mm-hmm. You know, when we need that signal to noise ratio to be high.
3: I mean, in our yeah. defense, we also use really big light buckets.
0: That's true. It's true. Yeah, we just increase the size of the bucket or the, the or just wait longer. You know. Yeah. Um. So given this, like for tests and stuff, mm-hmm. what makes COVID as a strange like sorry, yeah. Why is COVID kind of strange or challenging? Like why why can't I get a vaccine as fast as I get my Amazon package?
1: That's a good right question. Look look, if everything worked on Amazon efficiency, the world would be a lot better place.
0: but <laughs> Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs>
3: only on its efficiency though. Yeah,
1: only on its efficiency, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about the rest of the uh <laughs> shall we say process. questionable. Yeah. <laughs> but nice. um yeah coronavirus uh 19 is a new strain from the coronavirus family now you know there's a few similar things so we can say okay it may act similar to sars or uh mers but mm. it's um you know it's genetic sequence is a little bit more different than that so it's close enough that you can place it in the family but different enough that it causes different things like how it works how it uh you know transmits from person to person and how it uh how the symptoms manifest so you can have rel- related strains or related families but that won't make the the immune system produce the immunity you want to seek from it. So you can't just go and say, okay, here's a coronavirus A, let's use it to treat COVID. Because mm. they're a little bit different, just so that it won't produce you know, that effect.
0: True. The
1: other tricky thing is that it's an RNA virus. So usually in viruses, RNA viruses are a little bit more unstable. They produce a bit more errors when they replicate. Mm. Uh, DNA ones are a little bit more stable so they can replicate successfully without having that much errors in each copy so what these errors do you know usually nothing happens the virus becomes ineffective it's not a good mutation most of the time it, it doesn't lead to anything else you know sometimes it can have a little error but it still works just as a normal covid particle and then at other times it mutates just enough that it actually has an effect on, you know, its interaction with the host. And that's how you have diverging strains. Mm. So trying to get a vaccine for a completely new strain of the coronavirus family, you can't rush it. There's a lot of complications in terms of, you know, is it a safe vaccine? Does it produce immunity? How effective is the immunity? Stuff
0: like that. Wow. That's Um, such a satisfying explanation. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it is
3: one of the concerns, too, because, like, you get the vaccine you say everybody go back out and it actually didn't give us immunity. And so we just get smacked with COVID-19 mm-hmm. again.
2: So so the issue is that to get a proper vaccine, like, I mean, the, the danger is that it might just be the wrong uh, mutation or something. Mm-hmm. And then, like...
3: Well, cause like, that's the problem with the cold, right? Like the common cold we can't vaccine for cause it's got too many mutations. Which one do you do?
1: Right. Yeah. Right? At the same time, they're issue? constantly adding new mutations, you know? So you could have a whole array of let's say common cold vaccines. Uh, yeah. it passages through the population a few times and suddenly there's a extra strain that we didn't account for and it's still there.
2: Right. Your
3: degree's in the mail.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's all it takes <laughs> yeah, yeah those squishy sciences <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. who knew we would need you you know plus the previous yeah thank you so much nacho also thank you for finding the time
2: <laughs> and uh, well i'm gonna make swiss cheese of the edits because we had some technical difficulties here and there um but other than that this was really fun and super insightful um Thanks, Nacho.
0: (laughs) Yeah, actually, it was super fun. Yeah, thank you so much, Nacho. Also, thank you for finding the time.
1: Oh, no, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys.
0: Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and be sure to join our new subreddit. On our subreddit, we host something called Ask an Astronomer. Here you can post a question to ask the fourth floor, whether it be about space, sci-fi, a conspiracy, or a personal question for Jason, Calvin, and I. Typically on a Wednesday night, Jason, Calvin, and I are asked questions not only regarding astrophysical phenomenon, But also things like, do we believe in aliens and why? Or, can you prove the Earth is flat? What are your thoughts on Planet X? You can, of course, ask us questions regarding our personal lives, if we have those. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.